Well, would you grab your Bibles and open to Exodus chapter 3? Exodus chapter 3. Your Bible's starting to open there automatically, probably. That'll start to happen very quickly if it isn't yet. Uh, We've begun this series called Building the People of God, and uh, we've been kind of digging into some of the lesser-known parts of the story. Today, we're going to hit one of the most famous portions of the story. If you don't have a ton of biblical background and you don't have a lot of biblical knowledge, you probably know this story, uh, at least. Uh, This is one of those uh, really, really famous stories that becomes a foundational piece for, uh, for our understanding of the scriptures and understanding of the work of Jesus. And so we're actually going to look at it this week and next week so that we can see it from a couple different angles. Um, but uh, before we get there, let me just remind you of a couple key things. We, we went slowly through these first couple chapters in order to recognize the, the broader picture that this story is our story. Each, each little vignette, each little story is part of the way that God is shaping us as his people. And, and they're all foundational for us to understand the work that's about to happen as God makes his appearance and we begin to see the story of redemption unfold. And so it's important for us to get these little pieces. And so a couple things that we said. Um, not only is this story our story, but we've said in the midst of this story, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of pain, that God is present And the goodness of God, even when we don't see it, is apparent because of the story. We hear the story of God, we tell the story of God, so that we remember the character of God. And in the midst of suffering and pain and difficulty, we can trust the character of God, even when we can't see it with our eyes. And that's part of that story. It's been 80 years that we've been following this narrative, and they have to trust God's character because what they see with their eyes is brokenness. And for a lot of us, that's our story. We see brokenness and pain and death and disease, and we just say, it's not supposed to be like this. And it's not. And it's the hope of God, it's the goodness of God, the character of God, that pulls us through those moments. So we trust the character of God. We recognize that God is in a process of making all things new. He's not making new things. That'd be really great. But God is restoring us. He's redeeming us. He's he's, uh, leading us into a process, and that process takes time. One one of the key things we learn from the book of Exodus is God chooses not to do things immediately. He chooses to restore his people, and that's what he's doing in us. And last week, we looked at the idea that that restoration process almost always leads us into the wilderness, that in those those times um, of obscurity, those times where we are no longer known in the way that we are, no longer secure in the things that have made us secure, when everything's stripped away, we learn to rely on God alone, that's when he does some of his greatest work. And so today, we're going to see what happens as a result of the wilderness. We're going to fast forward another 40 years, and we're going to see what happens as a result of the wilderness. But I want to start with a story it's to me one of the most fascinating social experiments that's been done in the last 20 years. It was uh, commissioned by the Washington Post back in 2007. There's a guy named Joshua Bell. He was a child prodigy violinist who uh, is, uh, by 2007, was 39 years old and universally regarded as one of the best violinists in the entire world. A couple weeks before this social experiment, Bell was playing in the symphony house in Boston. Uh, sold out the place. Uh, the tickets were averaging at $100 and went way up from there. Um, it was a, a, a sold-out venue. A couple weeks after this experiment, he was at the Music Center in Swarthmore, standing room only, and it's said that they, uh, the people who were there stifled their coughs even 
until the movement breaks so that they didn't interrupt the artistry of what Bell was doing. But in between, Joshua Bell, one of the best violinists in the world, took a Stradivari violin made in 1713 that he purchased for reportedly about $3.5 million, and he went down into the subways of Washington, D.C., and played like an average street busker. He went down, taking this incredibly uh, expensive, one of the most expensive instruments ever made, played by one of the best violinists alive, playing some of the most difficult and beautiful music ever written. And the experiment was, will beauty or busyness win out? What will happen when this man who commands a full auditorium everywhere else shows up in the subway? And so on the, the let me get the date here, on the 12th of January, Friday the 12th of January 2007, at 7.51 a.m., Bell goes down into the subway, takes out his violin, positions his case, and like a good street busker, puts a couple dollars in to seed money, you know, just to prep it. And he began to play. He played a piece by Bach that I can't pronounce, but is uh, known to be one of the most difficult violin pieces ever written. And he went from there and played for 43 straight minutes. In 43 minutes, it's estimated that around 1,100 people passed by Bell as he played. And a grand total of seven of them stopped and listened for a short period of time. Another 20, including those seven, gave a little bit of money, most of them just tossing in coins on their way by. By the time 43 minutes were up, he had made $32 and change um, as he played this $3.5 million violin. There was a three-year-old child who really wanted to stop and listen, but his mom shooed him away, so there would have been eight if he would have been allowed. Gene Weingarten, who was part of the commissioning of the study um, for the Washington Post, wrote this. The fiddler's movements remained fluid and graceful. He seemed so apart from his audience, unseen, unheard, otherworldly, that you find yourself thinking that he's not really there, a ghost. Only then do you see it. He is the one who's real. They are the ghosts. These people running by this beauty, this divine moment, in order to be a couple minutes early for work. Missing it. Completely missing it. The question for us is, when do we miss it? When are we so busy with stuff that we miss the beauty of the world around us? When do we start going so quickly that we're not able to stop and notice? Where are the divine moments, the holy moments, that the fullness of our schedule just pushes us past? Elizabeth Barrett Browning has a famous line in a poem. She says this, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries. This is us. I love that quote because it's a reminder to us that beauty is everywhere. It's all around us. That there are these divine moments that are constantly happening. And obviously the allusion to Exodus chapter 3 is very present in Browning's poem. 
Would we see it when beauty shows up in front of us? When the divine shows up in the midst of the mundane, will we see it? I'm going to ask you to listen. Hannah is going to come and read for us Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Listen to the story unfold and listen to the way that Moses responds. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned." When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Hannah. So like I said, we're going to look at this passage from two different angles. This week, I want to look at the passage that, from the perspective of the God who speaks to us, the God who speaks. And I want to look at three ways that God speaks. There's lots of ways that he speaks, but within this passage, we're going to look at the idea of God calling Moses, God sending Moses, and as he sends, he reveals himself to Moses, and God's promises, the promise that he makes to Moses. So the voice of God calls, sends, and promises. So we're going to pick up with Moses in Midian as a shepherd. So if you remember from last week, Moses got married to Zipporah. He's uh, entered into his new vocation of being an obscure, unknown shepherd wandering around the wilderness in Midian, or if you prefer Brogue or wherever you'd like to imagine him to be. He's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, he, he got to nowhere, and now he's settled there, and he's doing nothing effectively. He's... he's a shepherd. He's wandering around in the fields. And what we'll find out from Stephen's sermon in the book of Acts is that this is another 40-year period. So Moses spent 40 years in Egypt before he ran from Egypt. Now Moses has spent 40 years in Midian. And it's at 40 years 
that this event takes place. So it's been four decades of Moses just wandering around. Four decades of Moses being shaped. And one of the first things you're going to notice about Moses in Exodus 3 is this is not the same Moses from Exodus 2. He's a totally different guy. He has been shaped by these 40 years in the wilderness. So Moses is wandering around as a shepherd, and he sees this sight, a bush that's on fire but not being consumed. And he makes the decision, the conscious decision, I'm going to go see what that is. I should go see that. Now, we read it and we think, like, well, yeah, because it's a bush that's burning but not burning. Like, that's, it's like, it had to look odd. Like, it, of course you'd go to see it, right? I wonder, maybe, maybe this is the first time this ever happened. But in my mind, I'm thinking Moses has been wandering for 40 years. He's been, uh, God has been preparing to call Moses to send Moses. I wonder how many times this bush has been on fire and he's missed it. Like, how many times did he just walk by? He never even saw it. Just like, he had stuff to do. Like, he's got a sheep over here, he's got stuff over here, he's got to get back to Zipporah, and he's got, like, he's got stuff. This day, maybe it's the first time God's ever shown up. Or maybe it's the hundredth time, or the thousandth time. But this day, Moses noticed. And he turned off to the side, and he took time to listen first principle I want you to see is God speaks to people who are willing to listen. And there are times for us where our life gets so full that we fail to listen. Moses finally, after 40 years of obscurity in the wilderness, was quiet enough to listen. There's this fascinating part of the text where um, it starts by saying in verse 2, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And then in verse 4, the angel of the Lord has become the Lord himself. So when the Lord saw that he uh, turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. And theologians argue, because they like to do that, about who's what in here. Like, is this an angel of the Lord? And then, like, it's actually that's the name that's being used for the Lord. And when Moses goes over, that's just the Lord. Or are they two different beings? And is the Lord like a pre-incarnate Christ? Or is this the Holy Spirit because it's flames? And the Holy Spirit shows up in flames a lot. So is that, like, who, who knows? I like to think of it this way. I like to think the angel of the Lord has been hanging out in that bush for a long time. And every time Moses comes by, because the angels of the Lord, they always have messages, right? When they show up, they have a message for somebody. This angel doesn't have a message. He's got a job. His job is get Moses. So he's like hanging out in the bush. I think he's been hanging out there for a while. And Moses turned to the side and, and he's like, he's like doing his thing, his flame thing, you know, like. And Moses turns to the side to look. He's like, ooh, ooh, God, got him. And then, like, then his job is, like, like, he's like, the president will see you now, right? Like, he's just, he's done. Like, he's, he's out. He's out. And then God shows up. I, I don't know. It's speculation, but that's what I think happened. So God shows up and begins to speak to Moses. So now what, what you have is Moses, who has, for whatever reason, been so preoccupied with something over the last 40 years that he's not been able to listen to God, finally stopping and hearing him. Finally, he stops. Ruth Haley Barton, in her book on leadership, says this about this moment. We long for a word from the Lord, but somehow we've been suckered into believing that the pace we keep is what leadership requires. We slide inexorably into a way of life that offers little or no opportunity for paying attention and then wonder why we are not hearing from God when we need God the most. 
For most of us, this is our story. If you would start to just talk person to person, what you would find almost to a person is when we have in our lives stopped and focused on listening to the Spirit of the Lord, we've heard from God. And you will find almost to a person, most of us don't do it. We're just, our lives are full. We got stuff. You know, Moses is busy with the sheep, and he's busy with Zipporah, and he's got at least one kid, and he's got to, like, figure out, so his kid's 40 now, I guess, so like, whatever, I don't know what's going on there, but actually we're going to find out he's not, well, and that's getting ahead of ourselves, that's next, uh, next week, a couple weeks. Um, so there's all this stuff going on in Midian, he's busy, and he finally stops, and when he finally stops, he hears from the Lord. One of uh, the ways that several wise mentors have directed me over the years is that in pastoral ministry, I have to have time away at, where I'm separate from all the, all the other stuff that's going on in order to hear. It's a vital thing, and it's not just for pastors. That's true for you, too. It's true for all of us, but it's one of those things that I have disciplined myself to do. It's um, what Mark Sayers calls withdraw and return, that there's a, there's a need to get away to get perspective from the Lord so that you can return. It's part of the way that, that God works. And what I found is that every single time that I discipline myself to take that time away, whether it's a couple hours, whether it's an evening, whether it's a weekend, whether it's a couple of, whatever it is, every single time I take that time, I hear from the Lord. And yet, I'm still too busy most of the time to create space. This is our story. One of the things that I think we learned in 2020, there's so many um, lessons that leaders learned. I'm sure you have a whole list of them from your own perspectives of things that we learned over the last 18 months. But one of those things we learned over the 18 uh, I, there's a podcast out there that I did that has all kinds of lessons learned, so if you're interested, I have a whole bunch of them. But here's, here's one. Um, revelation is far more important than vision. We have this idea as leaders that we need to have a vision. And there's this, all of this writing around like why it's so important for leaders to have a clear vision. And, and, and I'm not saying that vision and clarity isn't important, but what we learned in 2020 is that human vision has a lot of limitations. And what we really need is the revelation of God. What, what we really need is to hear from the Lord. You don't need to hear from me. You need to hear from God. And I, I'm sure we made a lot of mistakes in the last 18 months, but the things that we did right, I'm certain came from the revelation of God, not from human wisdom. We as people need to recognize God's wanting to speak to us. We don't have to conjure up a, an environment where God will speak. We don't have to like set the candles, play the music, and make sure it's like really, really serious so God can come in and speak in his serious voice. I, I, think, I think God has a voice kind of like Brian Wade. That's what pictured in my head. You know, it's kind of the way it works to me. I, 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 when he talks, it's just, yes, that's right. Uh, so, but you don't, have to, you don't have to set the stage. He's like, yeah, don't you, you know? No, nah, anyway, yeah, anyway. You want to come talk so people, never mind, it's okay. I, I think sometimes we feel like we have to set the stage and make it right. All we have to do is do, do a Moses. I turned aside. I saw that thing. And I said, ooh, maybe God's speaking. I'll take some time to listen. God's calling us. He desires to speak to us. We just have to open our ears to be willing to listen. 
And then God reveals himself to us. As God reveals himself to us, uh, there's this process of calling that begins to happen as God shows us who he is. The challenge is that we tend to come to God with all kinds of questions, all kinds of information, all kinds of pre preconceived ideas. I would imagine when Moses sees God and is aware that it's God, there, it, there must have been a temptation to say, God, it's been a lot of years. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. Have you seen all the stuff that's going on over here? This is, so I got some questions for you. Like, I, I hear people say all the time, like, when I get to heaven, I have a list of questions. Like, no, well, you do right now, but you won't. <laughs> you, you won't. Uh, we need to remember that when God shows up, he's revealing himself to us, not us coming at him. One of the constant things I hear from people is, I could never serve a God who, I, I could never submit to a God who isn't willing to, who doesn't, what, fill in the blank, whatever the situation is, I would never, I could never be a part of a God, I read that part of the Old Testament, I could never serve a God like that. You know what, you know what that is? That's us saying, from my unassailable, all-knowing position, I will tell God how to be God. I, I have some directive for him, and if he's not willing to follow me, then he's not my God. It's crazy. But this is what we do. We come to God with an idea of, okay, God, here's the way I'd like to grant you permission to be God. When God shows up to Moses, he shows up to Moses to reveal himself. And we need to be people who are willing to hear who God says that he is. J.I. Packer, in his introduction to his book, Knowing God, if, if you need something to read, this should be on your short list if you've never read Knowing God by Packer. It's an excellent, excellent book. Um, this, this is what Packer says. Ignorance of God, ignorance both of his ways and of the practice of communion with him, lies at the root of much of the church's weakness today. The modern way with God is to set him at a distance, if not deny him altogether. And the irony is that modern Christians, preoccupied with maintaining religious practices in an irreligious world, have themselves allowed God to become remote. Churchmen who look at God, so to speak, through the wrong end of the telescope, so reducing him to pygmy proportions, cannot hope to end up as more than pygmy Christians. It's such a rich metaphor because what he's saying is when we turn that telescope around and we look at God, we shrink God down to a, a God that we can manage, you can be God if you follow my rules, we have no choice but to shrink us down as well. We, we will become little followers of a little God because we, we can't experience who he is because we're not allowing him to be who he is. Packer's saying there's a call for us to experience the revelation of God in a new way. So God shows up to Moses and he reveals himself. How does he reveal himself? Well, there's two key ways. First one is he reveals himself as transcendent. He reveals himself that, as the God who is over us, who is uh, above us. So you see it right away in, uh, in verse 5 as he reveals himself to Moses. He says, verse 5, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Now, if you were standing there with Moses, he's a shepherd in Midian, and he's just been pulled aside right off of the beaten path. And so what's under his feet there is probably a mixture of dirt and maybe some grass, maybe some rocks. That, that's about it. And if you look 15 feet to the right or 15 feet to the left, the dirt looks the same. Like, it's not any different. This isn't like um, 
ultra-pure soil that has been purified and prepared. Like, the, the point is not the dirt, you know what I'm saying? Like, why is it holy ground? It's holy ground because God's there, right? Now, now, we can say, oh yeah, of course, that makes perfect sense. Of course it's holy ground because God's there. That means your cubicle at work is holy ground. That means that the hallways that you walk at school are holy ground. It means your kitchen is holy ground. It means your neighborhood is holy ground. It means when you're shopping, the frozen food aisle is holy ground, right? <laughs> Why not? Right? Everywhere we go, God goes with us. The presence of God goes with us. If it's the presence of God that makes that dirt holy, it's the same presence of God that makes our space, our lives, our life holy. And so when God shows up, all we have to do is open our eyes. See, the problem that we have with not recognizing the holiness of God in the midst of our kitchen and the frozen food aisle is because, like Moses, we miss the bush. We walk by Joshua Bell in the subway. We miss it. But the holiness of God is coming with us. God is transcendent. And so as he reveals himself as holy and other, above, to Moses, Moses does what all people in the Old and New Testaments do when they encounter either an angel of the Lord or God himself. He hides. They, they always hide their face. They bow down. They turn around. Some of them run away. Like there's, there's this sense of the holiness, the reverence of God, the bigness of God. So Moses hides his face. His first response is to hide his face. Here's what I want you to hear. God is wholly transcendent. He is above us, which means the Bible reveals to us that God is holy, and he has invited us into his family. So Jesus is our brother. And his position towards us is one of a friend. He invites us into relationship with him. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is our homeboy. That's uh, Ashton Kutcher from the early 2000s. Jesus is my homeboy, right? Like, we tend, we tend to um, have the sense of God being, some of you are like, Ashton Kutcher, I don't know who that is. It's okay, don't worry, it's fine. I'm, it's the shirt, the shirt's the thing. Um, the, we we, we want to water Jesus down to be like our buddy. We, we want to we get to this place of like, like, yeah, me and Jesus, we're just hanging. No, you're not. Like, he's God, and you're not God. Like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> like, it, we, we get God out of this place of holiness and reverence and try to bring him down to where we are. And when we bring him down to where we are, that's when we start to tell him how to be God. We need to recognize that he is holy and transcendent, that part of what he reveals to Moses is his holiness. But he also reveals to God what theologians call his imminence or his closeness. He's not just above us, he's also with us. So if you uh, keep reading a little bit further, he says in verse 7, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. So he says to Moses, I get it. I've seen it. I've watched it. I've seen it over the generations, over these last 80 years. I've watched it. I know. I'm, I'm with you. I understand the intimate details of what's going on in the lives of my people. And then he says in verse 8, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I've come to be with them. So now he's saying he's not, just, uh, he's not just transcendent, he's not just over us, but he's also imminent. He's here with us. There's a connection, a, an intimacy to who God is. He chooses to come to be with us, to choose to be, to be one of us. Um, God's interested in every single detail of our lives. He, he's that kind of connected. 
And so, so to Moses, he's saying, you have to hold these two things together. Both things are true. He's holy and he's close and intimate. He's transcendent and he's imminent. And so he says, Moses, I, I have all the power. I have all the ability. I have seen everything. I've seen every single detail. I know what's been happening. I've seen, I've seen the oppression of my people. And Moses, I have a plan. Moses has to move to the edge of his seat, right? Like, oh, good, good. I have a plan. What's your plan? I'm going to send you. And Moses had to go, <laughs> like, probably the holiness of God made it so he wasn't ready to laugh quite yet. But if it had been a little bit more relaxed, he just would have laughed. Like, are you serious? <laughs> like, me? Like, I'm, I've been wandering around Midian watching sheep for four decades. Like, are you serious? Like, I'm nobody. So Moses comes to God, and he says, who am I? Who am I? Like, what do you mean you're going to send me? Who, who am I? Well, see, here, here's the thing. I think sometimes because of the transcendence of God, the presence of God, the, the power of God, and the closeness of God, we want to have these moments where we come before him and we say, you have all the power, you know everything, you know all these details, and so I'm going to pray a prayer tonight, and I'm going to go to bed. And tomorrow morning when I wake up, all of reality is going to be different. It's going to change. And we, we want God to do that. And, and please hear me. Sometimes God does that. There are times where we come before him in prayer and we say, God, change this. And he does right now. But most of the time, it's a little bit different than that. What happens is we come before God in prayer and he says some version of, I'm glad you've learned to listen to my spirit enough to know how much that's on my heart. Now I want to use you to be an answer to the prayer you just prayed. You're going to be a part of my solution. Are we willing to be answers to the prayers that we pray? That's what God reveals. Like, I, I'm using you. Moses is not going to be used by God because he's fabulous. In fact, Moses is going to insist for the next chapter and a half that he is not fabulous. And yet God's going to use him anyway. God uses us to answer our prayers. He reveals himself to us. So Moses comes to him and says, um, who, who am I? Who am I to go before, the, before Pharaoh? Who am I to be the people, uh, to rescue the people? This is where you see Moses has certainly changed. Because 40 years ago, Moses would be like, yeah, you bet I am. Like, let's go. Let's go do it. Like, I'll go kill some people. I'm going straight to Pharaoh's place, man. I got this, right? But 40 years have gone by. Moses has been humbled. He's been broken down. And his response is, who am I? And this is where we expect God to answer differently than he does. Because we live in the 21st century and we have bought a lot of stuff coming out of the world of psychology. Now let me be really clear. I'm a, I'm a fan of psychology. I think that Christian therapy is a really great thing and I think most of us would be formed better if we were in therapy. I think it's actually really, really good. So I am pro-therapy, I'm pro-psychology. But there are times that psychology gets in the way of understanding truth, and one of the things that psychology says to us is that we need to have higher esteem. We need to think of, our, if we just thought of ourselves more and better, we would be better. So G Moses comes to God, and he says, he says, who am I? And we expect him to be like that, um, like that, that trainer in the spin class that's like, like, you're a boss, like, you go get it, like, this is all for you, all the pain's coming into strength, and you're, you, you got this, like, you were born for this, right, like, you expect him to be like, 
Moses, like seriously, you were born for this. You're a prince right now, but I'm going to make you a king. Like, I got this, right? What's he say? Moses comes to God. He says, who am I? And God says, I'll be with you. Don't worry. Uh, He basically says to Moses, like, yeah, you're you're right. You're actually a mess. (laughs) Like, you're, you're really no good. But don't worry. I'm coming with you. This is the heart of the gospel if we will listen to it. This is God saying to Moses, it's not really about you, honestly. It's about me. I'm going with you. And because I'm going with you, you'll be fine. It has really very little to do with you. You just happen to be my chosen vehicle for the moment. Who am I? Eh. Christopher Wright in his commentary says it this way. Maybe. There it is. Moses asked, who am I? God answers, that's not what counts. What matters is I am with you. But at the same time, it's not just a statement, but a promise. I will be with you in Egypt just as much as I'm with you here and now at the bush. See, this encounter is really about God promising to be with Moses. It's not so much about Moses. It's not about Moses being great. Moses saying, who am I? And God's like, eh, not much. But he's saying, you're not much, but I'm going to be with you. I will be with you. So then Moses asks what any sane person would ask, which is, okay, so I get that you're going with me, but who are you? <laughs> like, um, who, who's coming with me? Because understand, this is a world of polytheism. Um, there, there's all kinds of gods being served by the Egyptians. There's the God of the Israelites. And Moses is saying, okay, so, so who, are, who are you? Like, I'm going to go before Pharaoh, and I'm going to say, God told me to come to you, and he's going to say, God who? I need a last name, right? I need like, like some distinguishing factor. Do you have a social security number or something? I need something else more than just God. There's a lot of those. And so he says, who, who should I tell him sent me? And God says, I am who I am. And Moses had to say, that didn't help. <laughs> like, like what, what in the world are you talking about? Like, for us, when we say I am, Something has to follow that. If I just say I am and I stop, you think like, like I, I lost my voice, I like fainted, like wh- what happened? <laughs> I, I am has to have something else that goes with it. Like I am a pastor or I am a father or I am tall or I am a Cleveland Browns fan and they won with a backup quarterback on Thursday, woo, or whatever it is. Whatever. You, sorry, I just had to throw that in. Um, yeah, so th- it has to be followed by something, right? There has to be an I am something. But God comes to Moses and he says, I, I am who I am. Now, there's all kinds of richness in the Hebrew text. Effectively, what God is saying is, I, I was, I am, and I will be. So I was sufficient for you, I am sufficient for you, I will be sufficient for you. I have been with you, I am with you, I will be with you. I did provide for you, I am providing for you, I will provide for you. God, what God is saying is, I am in all of those spaces all at the same time. Now picture this. Moses, the 80-year-old, probably ripped by now, but ripped 80-year-old shepherd, is being sent to Egypt. And he's supposed to go before Pharaoh. And his message is, I am has sent me to you. How do you think that's going to (laughs) go? We're going to find out here in a little bit. But like, how how does that go when when your whole message is, I am has sent me to you? So 
So I think an illustration will be helpful. Um, uh, Tim Chester in his commentary on Exodus has a great illustration, so I'm going to kind of borrow it and expand a bit. Um, I, I want you to imagine that I wanted to go to Buckingham Palace. And I, I wanted to go to Buckingham Palace, and I wanted to see every single part of it. Like, I didn't want to take the tour. I, I wanted like, to go through the secret places, and I want to like, see where they hide the treasure and where the living spaces are. And I just want to wander. And I want somebody to walk with me. I just want to wander the halls by myself. So I get in a plane, and I fly to London. And when I get to London, I get in a Uber or, do you have Ubers? In? I don't know. There's Uber, whatever. There's some guy driving on the wrong side of the road, and I'm terrified the whole way to get to Buckingham Palace because I'm on the wrong side of the road. We get there. I get out, live through it. I go up to the, the gate, and there's a guard there, of course. And I say to the guard, hey, um, I want to go into Buckingham Palace, and I want to like, walk around a little bit. And he points over to where tours are. Like, tours are over there, sir. Uh, no, I, I, that's not, I'm not looking for a tour. I want to go in and like, see the, all of it. Like, I don't want to just do the tour part. I want to see the whole thing. I want to see the secret places and where the treasure is and the living quarters. I just want to wander around and, and look around a bit. And he would say, who are you? And I would say, I'm Brian. What would happen at that point? At, at that point, well, it depends on the disposition of the, the guard. Um, it, if, the, if he's happy, he might just laugh in my face and send me away. Or if he's not happy, I would probably be arrested very quickly and thrown into jail or something, right? Like, I, this is crazy man. Like, what's this man doing here? Now, I want you to imagine a 15-year-old Kate Middleton doing the exact same thing. So 15 years old, this little girl named Kate comes up to the guard. Hey, I want to go into Buckingham Palace. No, here, the, over there is the tour. No, 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 I don't want to go to the tour. I want to wander everything. I want to see the living quarters. I want to see the secret places, all, this, all the stuff. And he says, who are you? She says, my name's Kate Middleton. He says, I don't care. I don't even know who you are. And she gets hauled away and thrown in jail. But 15 years later, one year after she's married to Prince William, she walks up to the gate and she says, I want to go in and I want to look around. I want to see the secret places and the living quarters. I want to see where the treasure is. I want to just wander around. And he says, who are you? She says, I'm Kate Middleton, Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cambridge. I'm married to him, Prince William. And what's the guard do? Let's her through. Why? She's the same person. The same person 15 years before and now. Same person. But she is identified through marriage with the crown. And because of her marriage, she now means something because of the one who's with her. That's what God's saying to Moses. He's saying, this is not about you. When you go before Pharaoh, if you go before Pharaoh as a Midianite shepherd who has worked himself up to, into a, a, a tizzy, that's great. He's going to send you away. He's going to kill you. But you're not just going to Pharaoh. You're going with me. You're with me. And now you can get in. What we often miss about the gospel is that the gospel is actually not about us. The gospel is not about you. I mean, think about the way we talk about it. Like, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus to come and die for me so I can be saved, I can be cleansed, I can have a better life, and I can go to heaven. And all of that's true. Please hear me say, it's all true. But as, as my kids like to say, um, it's putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. They really like that. They think it's really funny. It's putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. 
Because the, the gospel is actually not about you. Like, it's, all that stuff's true, but the point is Jesus. The point is that God is glorious. The point is that Jesus is doing incredible things, and we just happen to be along for the ride. Like, I'm with him. Like, God's doing stuff, and I'm here. Like, we read Exodus, and we think it's a story about the, the deliverer. But it's not a story about Moses. This is a story about the God who delivers. This is not a story about the people of God. This is a story about the God who has chosen a people and delivered them. See, this is all about him. This is not about us. But we, we get it so confused. And so then what happens is, for, as a natural result of it, we get called by God and our response is, I need to fix myself up. I need to get better. I need to uh, deal with this area of my life and this area of my, of my life. I need to uh, have influence with these people and I need to kind of work my way into this circle. I need to be seen in a certain way by the people around me. No, actually not. None of that. Like, Moses says to God, who am I? And God says, eh, nobody. Like, you're nobody. But I'll be with you. If we get that, if we recognize that the gospel is actually about him, it's not about us, then all of a sudden we begin to move forward rather than just trying to fix ourselves up. Because we don't have to fix ourselves up. It's about him. Like Kate Middleton gets into the palace, whether she's wearing makeup that day or not, it doesn't matter. Like she, she, she can be like needing a shower and, and sleepies in the eye. She still gets, she's still Kate Middleton, right? She still gets in. That's the way it goes, because she's with him. God doesn't need us to get better. God needs us to listen to him and do what he calls us to do. We talk about the call of apprenticeship, that we are called to become like Jesus, that our pursuit is that we would sit under Jesus and become more like him. And we talk about that in three actions. We say you need to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the things that Jesus does. But for most of us, we really like the second two a lot more than the first one because we're 21st century North Americans and they're action-oriented. Like, I want to do something. I want to I become and then I want to go do. But see, before becoming and doing, the foundation is being you just need to be with God. You will never become like Jesus if you don't spend time with Jesus. You will never do the things that Jesus did with the heart that Jesus had and the passion and the power that he had unless you're with him, unless you be with him. And we want to skip through that and get to the stuff that we can do. And that's what happens. We get to the stuff that we can do. And Jesus says, I have so much more for you than that. So I want to invite you this week to take another step. If you took me up on the challenge last week, I encouraged you to take three to five minutes of silence before the Lord to allow that short period of time to be like a wilderness. If you didn't do that, my encouragement is for you to start with that practice. Just start with being before the Lord. And that's it. Just three to five minutes. They may seem like an eternity for a while, but in a bit, you'll get there. But if you started to do that, I want to add one thing to your practice. So still plan on three to five minutes. But at the, at the end of that three to five minutes, just pray a really simple prayer. It would go something like this. Jesus, what do you want to reveal to me right now? And what are you calling me to step into today? And then just listen. Just listen. And what you will find is that even those of us who struggle to hear from God 
And those of us who would say, I'm far from a mystic, I'm like really practical, and I'm not even sure that God speaks like that today. And like what you're going to find is that God will, if you will take the time set aside and you will quiet your heart, will begin to put things into your mind and into your spirit. And you'll start to know things about him that he wants you to know. And you'll start to hear words that you need to hear. And then if you'll take just a minute and you'll write that down in a note card and you'll put it in your pocket, you'll find through the day that God will in profound ways meet you in those places. He, he may give you a, a person. Like, here's somebody you're going to see later today say this to them. Like, he, he may give you a specific thing that he says, this is what I want to teach you about me today. Keep your eyes open. I'm going to show you. Because it's not about us. It's actually about the fact that God's doing all kinds of stuff in the world around us. And if we will stop enough, we'll be able to see it. This all began with Moses saying, oh, look, there's a bush over there. I should go see what that is. And if we're not willing to take the time to get to there, we will never be sent by God to go do the things that he wants us to do. We have to start by being with him. And so I want to invite you into that. We're going to uh, respond. The team's going to lead us. And uh, one of the declarations that we're going to make is that it's well with us because of him. This is really about him. And so when we come, we don't have to say, my life's good, so therefore it's well with me. We can come and say, you're good, therefore even though my life's a mess, it's well with me. And this is, as much as any other place is, holy ground. And so it may be that you need to take some time to just listen, to come aside to the bush, and as we sing, to quiet your heart and just say, God, what do you want to tell me right now? But, but please hear me be really, really clear. If this is holy ground, your chair tomorrow morning is and your office is and your kitchen is, all of it is. So it's not just about here, like we've created an environment and now God can speak. God wants to speak to you all the time. As his children, he desires to speak to us. We just have to listen. And so I want to invite you into not just a moment of listening, but a week of listening. What's it like to hear the voice of God as he speaks to us? And so Jesus, we come in a lot of different ways with a lot of different backgrounds. And for some of us, this idea of, of hearing your voice is really foreign. And for others of us, it feels like second nature. Would you just meet us where we are? Jesus, would you, in the midst of the swirl of the stuff around us, and there's a lot, I look around this room, there's so much happening in our lives, good things and really difficult things. Would you, by your grace, meet us and remind us that it is well with us, not because of anything that we've done, not because we've settled our lives, because we've done what we need to do. It's well with us because we're with you. Because of our association with you, every door opens. We have all the power that we need. And so God, would you meet us now and throughout this week Speak to us. Help us to learn to hear from you. In Jesus' name.